dots. Connect the dots from from um, from Hunter Thompson to to your father. Well, certainly they were of the same spirit, which was a kind of graceful, anarchic subversion. And they also had great insights into human nature, and especially corruption in men, I would say. Um, I think women come off pretty well in both uh, of their works, Tondra Thompson and, and Terry Southern. Uh, but men, not so much. Uh, so Terry's work, um, really, you know, Dr. Strangelove and Easy Rider are kind of cinematic bookends of the 60s. But Terry really uh, cut his teeth with literature starting in the early 50s. And so there's a tradition that Terry worked in, my father worked in, uh, that dates back to, yeah, the the kind of what he called, Terry did, the quality lit scene. And uh, that is short stories and um, kind of experimental prose, you might say, uh, early on. And, and then the novels, The Magic Christian and Candy. And Hunter was apparently quite taken with The Magic Christian, which is a, a billionaire who stages these public outrageous pranks on people just to show kind of the arbitrary power of money and influence. And actually, I have a piece I could read, which is uh, a wonderful uh, appraisal of that, of that love that Hunter Thompson had for the magic Christian. Let me see if I can... Well, you know, when, yeah. uh, I, re I remember uh, Hunter would uh, use... Uh, your, your father is an example when uh, we would give him a little bit of hell for going Hollywood on us and that he would say well uh, are you saying no good work could ever be done uh, well, you would have us do without Dr. Strangelove <laughs> <laughs> right on yeah Terry did give a lot of his life to the cinema to movies and he loved collaboration and it's true that many novelists uh, did not like a friend of Terry's William Styron would you know, he'd just say, uh, yeah, they can send me the check. That's the interaction I want. Terry really loved interacting with writers, actors, directors. And it's very true that a lot of good things uh, can come out of a novelist coming to Hollywood. But it, it's um, the examples are few and far between. And I think Terry is... They're so different. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean uh, is there, you know, the, the creative process for writing is you, you, it's you... And you know the blank screen. Now it used to be the page, and and you know making films and things. It's such a collaborative process that you know some people are going to embrace that, but some people are are just not. Yeah, Terry loved that collaboration, and he also loved rising to the occasion that the genre would require, or that the characters uh, announced. Uh, he really took that on, and and he could handle any sort of genre from like the Cincinnati Kid, which was really more of a, of a melodrama, to Strangelove, which was a, a very um, specific kind of satirical uh, challenge, you know, to make the end of the world funny, which is what Kubrick hired him to, to do in terms of the dialogue. The, the piece I have here uh, shows a little, little bit of the lineage that Southern and Hunter Thompson shared. 
Uh, I will read it. It's an appreciation of Terry Southern by Henry Allen. It's published in the Washington Post after Terry died. And it's called Terry Southern's School of Satire. To him, hip was a funny bone. And it opens like this. That may be the best headline that paper's ever had. (laughs) Yeah. Hunter Thompson, a glass of wild turkey in hand and his skull face finally relaxing, didn't see the Terry Southern question coming. It was 1972, and he'd just finished another story about fear and loathing on the campaign trail. This one featuring a bellboy beating a snake to death with a vacuum cleaner. Now it was turkey time. The question, had he ever read a book called The Magic Christian by Terry Southern? He bent backward in an electro-convulsive spasm as if he'd sleepwalked into an electric fence. Yes, he shouted. Yes, my God. He looked at his questioner as if to say, are you one of us, one of those who know Even then, with the novel Candy, written with Mason Hoffenberg, having been a wild national scandal, Southern was a connoisseur's taste, if there can be connoisseurs of a writer, who once said that as a boy in Texas, he wanted to rewrite all of Poe's stories because they didn't go, quote, far enough. Have you read it, Thompson asked? It was about a sly multimillionaire named Guy Grand who went from chapter to chapter proving the chaos and degradation money could buy. I started reading it, and I thought I was going to go insane, Thompson said. It was an incredible influence on me. That last scene with the gorilla running around on the bridge of the ship, my God, it was so great. The important thing in writing is the capacity to astonish Southern told Life magazine in 1964, not shock. Shock is a worn-out word, but astonish. The world has no grounds whatever for complacency, end quote. Southern died yesterday at the age of 71. A lot of his stuff is less printable now than it was in the 50s, before corsets came off women's hips and got strapped onto people's minds. In Candy, the pert cutie pie heroine ends up writhing around with a psychotic hunchback. Your hump, your hump, she kept crying, scratching and clawing at it now. Southern knew he was outraging Puritans of feminism, mental illness, and disfigurement. Southern was either way ahead of his time or way behind it. It's hard to tell. In any case, nobody astonishes now in this decade of the dead, and nobody seems to have any of the fun Southern had. He was a master of American cliches, expectations, and pieties, of a world creaking with irony and alive with a topiary of quotation marks and not quite appropriate exclamation points. In The Magic Christian, his zillionaire protagonist takes over a Fifth Avenue cosmetics company and announces a vile-smelling deodorant to his executives. Gentlemen, I say this product may well spell home run in the hearts of Mr. and Mrs. USA. This, is la- this was language that would have gone over quite nicely <clears throat> if the, uh, sorry, <clears throat> this was language that would have gone over quite nicely in uh, a rotary meeting in Coonshawken, Pennsylvania, but 
Southern's readers were in on the joke. Southern was a bard of the hip age, and the essence of hip was being in on the joke, aware of the irony and facetiousness of even your compadres in hipness who would tell you sly, oblique stories about how they'd learned to live with no sleep at all, or how Bella Bartok's mistress wrote all his music, and somebody would say, he's putting you on, man. Hipness was a constant struggle over information and who controlled it. You, the government, the newspapers, the guy drinking coffee at the next table. If you put him on, you controlled it. Terry Southern took this grim doctrine and made it funny, satirizing both hip and square in a style of spectacular grace, clarity, and modulation through all the realities you could bite into, like a Napoleon, all the flaky layers. He was one of the last of the Paris literati in those Gene Seberg, George Plimpton years after World War II, and one of the first of the postmoderns. He helped write Dr. Strangelove, which features the famous, gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. He was a writer on Easy Rider, which summed up the whole counterculture communal drug fantasy with the line, we blew it. There are moments in his books that still astonish you, and there are moments that make you feel like you probably had to have been there. Along with Thompson, Kurt Vonnegut, and Ken Kesey, he's one of the last writers in America to be a culture hero as opposed to a celebrity, which he never was. So that's that piece. And that was in the Washington Post, and I was just thrilled to... Well, what year did that, that run? That maybe that would have come out in 1995. 95. Yeah. It's a remarkably well-written piece. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> that's a, good, that's a you, good list to find yourself on uh, with Vonnegut and uh, yes. all those guys. You know, I'll tell you, I, I knew George Plimpton, and after Terry's death, uh, we all gathered at... Um, at Jeanette Seaver's house. She's a publisher with Richard Seaver going back to Grove Press and Barney Rossett. And so Plimpton arrived. He rode his bike all over New York City all the time. And it was raining. And he had that Washington Post article that had just come out that night and for, to, for the next day's edition. And he was so thrilled to read it to all of us. And he read that aloud and we just thought it was so great. And Terry was, you know, still just had died a couple of days earlier. And so it was a, a really beautiful kind of send-off. And to have Hunter Thompson as the opener and the closer to that was so fantastic because it also shows that Hunter was really kind of kind of achieved the cultural resonance that Terry had sort of lost at that point. Terry, Terry's real heyday was the mid-60s, not the mid-70s and beyond, as, as Hunter really dominated. I'll say that, um, you know, Twirling at Ole Miss is a 1963 piece that Terry wrote in Esquire. That was sort of, I mean, when I think about him, I think that's the piece I think of. I mean, that's the yeah. piece you know. If, if. Right. And that was defined in a way by uh, by Tom Wolfe as the origins of the new journalism. A new kind of journalism is how he put it in his introduction to the new journalism. And that was the first instance Wolfe had seen of a kind of journalism where the journalist is given an assignment and what he comes back with is more of a novel treatment uh, of something more about the culture but from a first-person perspective rather than trying to be you know objective and 
and sort of file your report accurately. And that uh, piece, 1963, is well before Thompson in 67 with, with the Hells Angels piece really establishes the form as sort of the dominant uh, form that he would dominate actually in a way like nobody ever did. And Gonzo, of course, I mean, uh, Thompson really owned that and um, was that the in his persona and also in everything he ever wrote. Although you look at his letters as well, of course, and, you know, uh, he, he um, kind of um, allows a, a really full telling uh, around the sort of gonzo lines within those letters. He wrote thousands of letters, as you know, and they're all really, really terrific, but they're also taking care of business. He's not just putting on an act. I, I helped. Uh, when Doug Brinkley was doing the first letters book, uh, I helped with, with all that, and uh, mm-hmm. I always said you could take uh, uh, from that book and, and some of the letters we didn't use, just the bill collector letters. Yeah, definitely. Are, are funny as they can be. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just uh, uh, and not just funny, but insightful. You know, the, those guys. It, it was the it was the age of the letter, really, and, and it's hard to imagine. But I, you know, it's hard to imagine email rising to that to that level. It's Tech, interesting. Certainly not. Yeah, I mean, Thompson, as opposed to Terry, my father, really took care of business and really would write serious letters to whether it's a, it was an editor, a publisher, um, a journalist, you know, there were uh, those letters, <laughs> those, those letters that he wrote are quite unlike Terry's. Terry always did the put on in his letters. Uh-huh. Terry used his letters to really just create kind of more fiction and more kind of sparks uh, and sort of push the buttons of his friends. And I think that it didn't serve him well, ultimately, although he had a great time and they, people enjoyed receiving the letters. But in terms of managing his business, Terry kind of let it all slide, I think, after, after that great experience in Hollywood where he was earning so much money that um, I think it was easy to lose sight of, you know, the future, what, what lay ahead. He was really living in the present, having a great well, sure, time. Those, those guys, they, they came from that, that freelancer background, and, and that's how you knew to go to work is the money ran out. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then what do you do when it doesn't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he, um, you know, when he was in what he called the quality lit scene of short stories and novels, he had a very solid idea of, of how to succeed there, and he, he did actually do it really well, although he spoke facetiously about the whole kind of rigged system of the quality lit game, uh, but he, you know, uh, made sure to know the right critics to get the books to, and what would, all that kind of thing. What was his role, and, and how active was he in, when Plimpton was, was doing the Paris Review? And um you know, the Paris Review, interestingly enough, was built around a short story of Terry's. Peter Matheson, William Styron, and George Plimpton, and Doc Hume, as the founder, uh, knew of a story of Terry's that Doc had published in his own thing called the Paris News Post, uh, a story of Terry's called The Sun and the Stillborn Stars. And they were so impressed by this story that Matheson said to Plimpton, you know, we've got to create a magazine that is worthy of this story, actually, is how Matheson described it. 
And sure enough, Terry's um, story is the only story that appears in that first issue of the Paris Review. And then Terry continued to publish with them over the years. And he was on their masthead also as a contributing editor because Terry did uh, some interviews for the Writers at Work series, such as uh, with Nelson Algren, um, Henry Green, who's an, uh, a terrific novelist, a uh, British novelist, very influential. Probably especially the best, I would say, at uh, easily top five uh, interviews with Hunter was in the Paris Review. Yeah. I thought. And, yeah. And you're like, well, this is how it's done. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They they had quite the high benchmark uh, for you know doing what they did, which originally was just going to be a poetry venue. But when they saw the story of Terry's, they really wanted to make that um, a tradition for every issue. And, of course, fiction would, would be the focus. Uh, what do you think, when, when, and I know you must get this question a lot, what do you, what do you think he, Terry would think of the current situation? Yeah, I think that Terry probably would, would be master of the tweet uh, because he was great with phrases like uh, heavy put away or yeah. deep yeah. vag pen, which, you know, wouldn't be all appropriate <laughs> today, although it was sort of an accurate description of um, stuff he was looking for. He was looking for reactions, really. And so it might even be from strange loves like the, uh, you know, bodily fluids talk and, um, you know, the you can't find in here. This is the war room. Uh, but, yeah, he would certainly see Trump as a logical extension of the military-industrial complex as well. Yeah, it's sort of asleep the at the that, wheel. Yeah, the mind, the mind that gives you uh, uh, Dr. Strangelove would look around now and say, I, I, I tried to warn you. <laughs> yeah, he was certainly aware of buffoons and, I mean, many of the things that, like Donald Rumsfeld said, um, you know, there are known knowns and there are unknown knowns and we have to know the known unknowns and that these are kind of characters that, that Terry really invented. And I think it was Frank Rich who said not too long ago, before Trump actually uh, threw in his hat, so to speak, um, Frank Rich said, well, this guy Trump is very much, we've seen this before, it is Guy Grand in The Magic Christian. They ran a nice excerpt uh, from it in New York Magazine. Um, you know, they, I think he would not be surprised. He he always was pretty skeptical about uh, human nature in terms of, you know, how easy it is to fake people out and just the limitless sort of uh, corruption and what he used to call uh, monstro corruption and boss weirdness. Uh, it's rampant now, absolutely. So... We're, we're coming up on time deadlines, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you if uh, uh, if there's any particular piece that you could you could read for us. Um, but I do want to reset this. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming on, and we will do a, a, a reading segment, and um, we'll be right back. Great. Gave us stories we could share of 
crooked schemes, shattered dreams of people everywhere. Road of whiskey screams and motel rooms where no one seemed to care. Road of deep, dark, secret places made us feel that we were.